Church of God, today we continue our series, Light Out of Darkness, by turning uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians to chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's on page 1,799 of the Bibles in the pews. Over this summer, we've been going through the letter of 2 Corinthians, this letter of Paul to the church in Corinth, and today's uh, a really exciting passage because Paul, we start to see how Paul is bringing all of these different themes together that he's been building up over the previous few chapters. Uh, we've been looking at, the, at, this chap, at this book in order, and we've seen how the Apostle Paul's heart is sort of poured out on these pages. Paul loves the Corinthians very dearly. But something terrible has happened between them. And in these first seven chapters, Paul's been telling the church in Corinth about his travels over the past year from Ephesus to Troas to Macedonia and about the anguish of spirit that he experienced because of his broken relationship with the Corinthians. And when Paul writes this letter of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the Corinthians in response to the news that he receives from Titus that the Corinthians are ready to reconcile with him, that the Corinthians are ready to begin to repair that broken relationship. And here, Paul gets, in this chapter that we're reading today, for 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, Paul gets to the point of that, and he starts to talk about what reconciliation means and what reconciliation is, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, so with that, as we turn to 2 Corinthians 5, Let's ask for the Lord to bless us as we read his word. O Lord, our God and our King, you are great and greatly to be praised. We thank you for the many blessings that you give us, and we thank you especially for your word, which you give us in a language that we know and understand. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray that as we read it, as we read what the Apostle Paul has to say, we pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit to transform us, to reconcile us to yourself, to bring us close to your heart so that we will be transformed. Lord, we pray that you would transform us through your word and through your spirit to change us evermore into the likeness of Jesus Christ, who is the beginning of the new creation. In his name we pray, amen. Second Corinthians 5, and we'll be reading from 5 verse 11 to 6 verse 2. <clears throat> Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised from the dead. So from now on, we regard no one with a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, 
The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself in Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have reached a critical point in Paul's argument here in 2 Corinthians. And this point is so critical to what Paul is trying to say that I found it really difficult to write a sermon today because there is so much that Paul is bringing to this passage here that I felt like I had to talk about everything that we've already talked about in this entire sermon series and then go on to talk about everything that Paul's going to say in the rest of the letter. And that turned into a sermon that was way too long, and I didn't want to do that to you guys again. (laughs) But this sermon was was difficult for me to write because this passage is just so beautiful and so, um, I can't even think of a better word for it than epic. It's just epic. It's an epic passage. Paul here in this passage is starting to bring everything together that we've been seeing through this entire letter, and he does it, he does it by focusing on this work of reconciliation, the reconciliation of us to God, the reconciliation of the whole world to God. And the implication here is that the work of reconciliation that has begun between Paul and the Corinthians is a part of of this much bigger work, part of this much bigger story of God and his creation. And so you can see why it's like, ah, because it's like Paul's talking about this little story. Paul's talking about this story of reconciliation between him and the Corinthians as a very small part of this very big story, this very big story of the gospel, this very big story of what God is doing with the whole world through all of history. And so, we're going to talk about that today. Talk about this ministry of reconciliation that Paul is talking about, this work of God reconciling us to himself, reconciling the world to himself in Christ and why that's important to what Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians as he writes to this church that he's had conflict with, this church that he's, going, that he's begun to reconcile with. 
So my sermon, so I wrote this whole sermon, and now I haven't even started it yet, and now I've given you this big, long introduction. So it might be a little bit, like, I might not use this very much, and I might just, because I've thought about it a lot, but I, didn't, I don't feel like I wrote it down very well. But, you know, we, we've seen over these first few chapters how Paul has been building these themes, how Paul has been building and building and building these themes. He's talked about how God is bigger than our troubles in this life. He's talked about how God is more powerful than the, than the things that we go through in our lives. He talks about how God brings comfort in times of suffering, how God brings joy out of sorrow, how God brings faithfulness in times of change, how he brings forgiveness in the face of sin. And over the past couple chapters that we've looked at over the past two weeks, in in chapters 2 verse 12 through 5 verse 10, we went through all of that in two weeks, which was just like, ah. But he talks about how a new covenant has begun in Jesus Christ and how God has begun a new work in Jesus Christ, the work of the new covenant. And it's a new covenant that transforms the people. It transforms the people of the covenant so that we can live for God. And then he talked, we talked last Sunday in chapters 4 and 5 about how a new creation has begun in Christ. How a new creation has begun in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And to talk about that, we need to look at this big story. This big story that Paul is rooting his little story in. And the new creation is a really important part of that. The new creation, um, okay, so, the new creation. The new creation is what we talked about a little bit last Sunday. We talked about how the new creation has begun in Christ and that transforms the way that we see things, that transforms the way that we understand the world. And this ministry of reconciliation that Paul is talking about in chapter 5, verses um, 16 through 21, this ministry of reconciliation is this work of new creation. That's what Paul's talking about here. This word reconciliation in the Greek comes from a word that means change, to change or to transform. It's a word that's not used very much in the Bible. It's only used nine times in the Bible, and five times of those occur in this passage right here. So this is like where we understand what reconciliation is in the Bible, because this is where Paul uses the word. But in other Greek writings, this word is used to talk about people being changed from enemies to friends, from enemies to allies from enemies to friends. It's about a transformation in the relationship from enemy, from being an enemy to being a friend. And that's how Greek writers use this word, and that's how Paul is using this word here. He's saying that this work of reconciliation, this work of transformation, this work of transformation, this work of transforming people from enemies to friends, of transforming the whole world from enmity to friendship, is central to the gospel, is central to this big story of what God is doing in the world. And I think that this is something that gets us a little lost sometimes when we read the Bible. Because a lot of the times we we read 
the Bible as though it's this kind of guidebook, this kind of how-to manual, this kind of book of, of good advice about how we can get right with God and how, how we can go to heaven when we die. And, and that's a very small way of looking at the Bible. We don't always look at the Bible with this big picture view. We, we look at the Bible as this little story about how Jesus died for my sins so that I can go to heaven. Very personal, very small. And certainly we need God's forgiveness. And, and certainly God assures us that, that we will go to heaven when we die. But that's not the point of the Bible. That's not the big story of the Bible. Let me find where I am. I'm sorry. I'm a little scattered today. Okay, so, so this story of us being, of us being, the story of God forgiving my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die is a small part of this big story. And, and I think that, that when we read the Bible sometimes, that confuses us because a lot of the Bible doesn't have to do with God forgiving my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. There's all of these parts of the Bible that, 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 don't, that aren't advice. All these parts of the Bible that, that aren't part of this how-to manual, and there, there's like these, these stories about people who lived a long time ago and all these promises that God makes to people that don't really seem to have much to do with going to heaven when we die, and I think that that sometimes confuses us, and the reason that it confuses us is because we have this small picture of what the gospel is, this small picture of God forgiving my sins so that I will go to heaven when I die. It's a small story, a little story, a very personal story about one person and their relationship with God. Two weeks ago, we talked about Paul's view of the gospel, and we talked about this word, gospel, and how the Romans used this word to talk about something very particular, and that something was the victory of the emperor against his enemies, that the good news was the good news that the emperor had defeated his enemies and was coming back home to be crowned as king. And that that's how Paul views his mission, that he is a herald, he is a poet, he's a songwriter who's going all over the world telling everybody that the king has defeated his enemies, that God has defeated sin and death and is coming back to earth to establish his kingdom. It's a story about God defeating sin and death. It's a story about the kingdom of heaven coming back to earth. It's a story about how God is recreating the whole world for himself, transforming all of creation so that he can come and live here, reconciling the world to himself. This is the big story of Scripture, and this is the story that Paul wants the Corinthians to understand because this is the story that makes sense of everything that's going on in his life and in their lives. Paul's talking about how the whole church is united in Christ and about how the death of Christ is being lived out in his life so that the, the, the resurrection of Christ can be revealed in his body. All that stuff that we talked about last Sunday about the earthly tent and the heavenly dwelling starts to make a lot more sense when we, when we understand that Paul is putting his personal story inside this big story of Scripture, inside this big story of what God is doing in the whole world. And this is why Paul keeps interrupting his little story, his little story of traveling from uh, Ephesus to Troas to Macedonia. He keeps interrupting that little story with this big story because his little story is part of this big story 
And we're not going to understand his story unless we understand the big story that it's a part of. This is the work of transformation, the work of new creation. So, something that I want to talk about, I actually wanted to talk about this last Sunday. So, that gives you some sense of how, like, all of these things are starting to flow together, right? Something that I wanted to talk about last Sunday is our understanding of heaven versus Paul's understanding of heaven. I think that a lot of the time we, we find that we have a very different understanding of heaven and earth than what Paul has. And I think that a big part of that is because we tend to see the story of the gospel as this small story about Jesus dying for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. And so when we think of heaven, it, everything starts to get a little bit fuzzy, like literally fuzzy. Things, things are fuzzy in heaven. And, and as, as Carl has said many a time, we sort of have this picture of, of heaven as a place where, where we, our souls go to when we die, and our souls always have wings and halos and play harps and sit on clouds and eat Philadelphia cream cheese. We think of heaven as something that's very separate from earth, as something that's very different from earth. And so it's hard for us to think of what heaven is like because all that we know is earth. And so we come up with these weird images and these weird ideas. But this idea that heaven is a place that's far away from the earth and a place that's totally separate from the earth, where our souls go to when we die, is, is something very different than what we see in Scripture. When the Bible talks about heaven, the Bible's talking about the presence of God. When the Bible talks about heaven, it's talking about the presence of God. And so it's not really a physical space so much as it's like a different dimension almost. Heaven is where God is. That's the idea that's in the scriptures. So in the Bible, heaven's where God is, and there's different ideas, the different words that the Bible uses to express this, words like eternity and kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven and heaven and eternity and the age to come, things like that. But this idea that heaven and earth are separate means something very different in the Bible than the way that we sort of understand it. We don't really find this idea that heaven and earth are supposed to be separate in the Bible. Instead, what we find in the Bible is this amazing story of how God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the Bible starts. The Bible starts right in the beginning, right in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the idea there is that God is going to live with the creation that he's made. Heaven and earth are the same thing in the beginning. They're united. They're together. God lives with his people. That's the idea. The presence of God is all over the earth. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And so God makes everything, and he says that it's good, and he makes human beings to be, to be caretakers of his creation. But then human beings decided that we wanted to do things our own way, and we disobeyed against God. We rebelled against God. And that brought death and sin into the world. And, and this is a big part of the story. And that's why the, the, the fall of humanity was such a big deal for the whole history of the world was because God created human beings to care for the earth. And so when human beings rebelled against God, the whole creation was kind of thrown out of whack. And so all of a sudden, there, there's these irreconcilable differences 
Because God is life, but humans have brought death. God is purity, but humans have brought uncleanness. God is holy, but humans have brought sin. And so in the fall, it's like the fabric of creation is ripped apart because God can't stand the presence of sin. He can't stand the presence of evil. And so if God reveals himself in this unclean space, he would destroy it. And so because of this, human beings need a different way of approaching God. And so that's why in the Old Testament, the temple is such a big deal. Because in the temple, what God does is God creates this special clean space, this special holy space where he can interact with people. And so that's why offerings are a big deal in the Old Testament, right? Because because humans are filthy, humans are dirty, humans are sinful, And so, in the Old Testament, what happens is that you you need to pay the penalty for your sin if you're going to come and be clean in the presence of God, and the penalty for sin is death. And so, the idea in the Old Testament is that the the filth of sin gets transferred onto this poor little animal, and then the animal pays the penalty for the sin so that the human person is clean and pure and holy and can come into the presence of God and worship. And that's the point why we need to come into the presence of God. That's why this is such an important thing in the Old Testament, because we can't worship God unless we are holy, unless we are pure. So the temple, sacrifice, and then this is what makes the story of Jesus such a cool thing, because Heaven and earth have been torn apart, right? Heaven and earth have been separated. The presence of God is no longer on the earth. But in Jesus, that changes. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so what God's doing in Christ is he's bringing heaven to earth in his own person, in his own being. He's bringing heaven and earth back together in himself. And so that's the work that Jesus is doing. And so Jesus, in a way, is the temple, right? Jesus is the temple. Jesus is that special holy place where heaven and earth meet again. But then Jesus is also the animal sacrifice. Because what Jesus does on the cross, and this is what Paul talks about in 5 verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And this is what's going on in the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus is holy, and he takes our sin on himself, and he pays the penalty for that sin, so that we can be pure, so that we can be holy, so that we can come into God's presence. And this is what Paul means in verse 16 when he says that we no longer look at things from a worldly point of view. Anyone who knew the story of Jesus' crucifixion would would have known that it should have meant that he wasn't the Messiah, that his mission was a failure. But what Paul's saying is that that's looking at things from a worldly point of view. We look at things through the perspective, through the lens of the resurrection. And that changes the way that we understand this. That changes it so that we can understand that what Jesus is doing on the cross is taking our sins on himself so that we can be holy, so that we can be clean, so that we can come into God's presence. 
That's what Paul means when he says that the new creation has begun in Jesus Christ. Because for Paul, what the new creation is, is this bringing together of heaven and earth. This reconciliation of heaven and earth. Bringing all things back to the way that they were intended to be. That's what's happening in the new creation. That's, the, that's what God intends And so that's why this is so important for Paul, because this is the big story. This is the big story that Paul is getting at. This is the big story of what's going on in Paul's life and what's going on in the Corinthians' lives. They are all part of this big story where God is bringing heaven and earth back together. They're part of this big story about how God is reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. The big story of the Bible is that heaven and earth were intended to be together and that God is making that a reality again in Christ. So this, this, is, this is it. It's all part of this big story, right? It's all part of this big story. Paul's telling this story of what, what's going on in his life and what's going on in the Corinthians' lives, and he's, he's so excited that they're about to start this work of reconciliation between them, and he says this is a little part of this big story. And this is so cool because this is where everything starts to come together. We've seen all of these themes that Paul's been developing over the course of these first few chapters, all of these ideas that Paul's been introducing. And some of them, remember, like in chapter 2, right? In chapter 2, verse 5, where, where Paul says, you know, there's this guy in your church who sinned and you guys have kicked him out and now you have to invite him back in. You have to invite him back into your church. You have to forgive him and invite him back. And it, we, when we read that, we were kind of like, well, what's, what's that doing there? Why is that there? But now we see, now we see that Paul is getting at this big story of reconciliation, this big story of forgiveness, this big story of God bringing heaven and earth back together, not counting people's sins against them. And so all of a sudden, that story becomes part of this big story. That story of this sinner who's been expelled from the holy place, but now is invited back because of the sacrifice of Christ. The story of Paul and the Corinthians having conflict and now being reconciled. All of these things that Paul has been building up in these first few chapters come together here. Because Paul says all of these things, all of these little stories, all of these, these, these stories about what's going on in my life and what's going on in your lives and what's going on in our life together and what's going on in the church around the world, all of these stories are part of God's big story. The story of how God is bringing heaven and earth back together the story of how God is making all things new, the story of how God is reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. And I think that that's where I'll leave it. <laughs> what, Paul's, what Paul does here is he invites us to see that we, that our small story our little story of our rebellion against God and God's forgiveness of our sins is all a part 
of this big story. This big story of how God is reconciling the whole world back to himself. And what Paul's saying is that that's a story that's true for us. That's a story that's true for how we live. That's a story that transforms not just the way that we see things, but who we are. So that we can live lives of reconciliation. We can live lives of transformation. We can live lives out of what Christ has done for us. And I, I just think it's so cool that I can hardly put it into words. I mean, it's like, like we live lives now that reflect the life of Christ. We live lives now that show the world how God is reconciling everything to himself. And that's just an exciting thing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and our King, we thank you that you have invited us to be a part of this big story of what it is that you're doing in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have already now renewed us in our souls. That you have already now broken in to this world of sin and death with the new creation. Lord, we thank you that you send us your Holy Spirit to revive us and refresh us, to, to begin the work of resurrection life even now in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you invite us, as you invited Paul, to see how it is that our lives already now are beginning to be transformed, are beginning to reflect the work of new creation that you're doing in Christ. And Lord, we pray now that you would send us your Holy Spirit to forgive our sins, to make us pure, to reconcile us to you so that we can begin to work out this work of transformation in our relationships with each other and in our relationships with the world. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.